Romans. Let's go Romans chapter 6, going to be page 1057 in the skinny black Bible, if you are using one of those or picked one of those up. How many of you guys have ever heard the resurrection, uh, the resurrection message before? Anybody ever heard that, that message uh, about the resurrection? You don't get to keep that. I just need to put it there so it's not in my pocket. Um, how many of you guys have heard the, the Easter message before? Everybody, show of hands here. Got to see the sea of hands. How many of you guys would say that you have probably heard it more than five times? You've heard, more than, you've heard at least five Easter messages. By show of hands. Okay. How many of you guys would say you probably did like 10 or 15 or 20, let's say 20 times you've heard 20 Easter messages? Okay. Is that okay? About a third of us? Is that okay? Um, so then of those who are raising their hands there, let's say if you, if you had your hand up for say five, if you've heard five Easter messages, right? Because Easter is a pretty popular day at the church, right? Because if the grave's empty, yeah, the church should be full. Um, how many of those who, who raised their hand believe that everything that a Christian believes hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys believe that? I don't know if you know this, but that is actually what this all hinges on. If, if Jesus comes out of the grave, if Jesus comes out of the grave, number one, we're eternally lost. That's really bad news. Number two, Jesus was a liar. He was a liar. He was a false prophet. If he doesn't come out of the grave. But we know that he did come out of the grave. So those of you who raised your hands who said, yeah, I've heard the messages. Those of you who raised your hands said, yeah, I believe that. Everything that I believe and profess about Jesus Christ, that it hinges on the singular fact that Jesus three days later comes out of the grave. If you believe that, my question is this. Were you in church last year at this time at an Easter service and you heard the message about Jesus coming out? And how it's the most important thing to us, right? For us. And, and it proves the power of God, the conquering of sin and death and all of that. It frees us, gives us victory. Lindsay was just leading us in that. The question is this. Over the last 52 weeks, now you're going to say, well, technically, Steve, Easter was a couple Sundays later in the year. But anyways, let's say 50-ish weeks. For those of you who'd have to be, I almost went and counted the weeks, but I thought that's frivolous. How many of you guys talked about that in the last 50-ish weeks? And share that with somebody else, that it's so important. I want to actually see your hands. I think that's great. Good job. Good job. Because this is what it's all about. This is where all of the power, this is the root of everything um, that we have here. But let me tell you this, by the way, because I know you guys are expecting the Easter message, right? Jesus is put in the grave. He's been crucified, put in the grave. Uh, the guys are there like, oh, this is a really bad day. The stone's there. We've all heard the message about the stone. I think maybe last year, year before, I actually did, what would, if the stone could talk, what would the stone say was last year's message or the year before? And we've heard it. We've heard that, you know, three days later, the women go there. Jesus isn't there. We, we heard about the angel, right? We heard then about Peter and some of the guys running there, checking it out. Hey, he's gone. Jesus revealing. We've heard all of those messages, right? Do you need to hear it again? Uh, technically, let me say it like this. Do you need to hear it again in the sense that you don't quite have all the details down? Do you need to hear it because you don't have the details? Is that why you need to hear it? Why do you need to hear it? We need to hear it to be reminded of what's taking place on our behalf. Now, let me tell you, as far as a 2018 Easter message, Easter story update, 
Um, there's actually, this year, there's just no new facts to, to the resurrection story. I hate to bum you guys all out. I don't have anything new, right? I, I, I can't say, you know, well, we know that Jesus was wearing white with a blue stripe. Uh, they just found that. We don't, we don't know that, right? There's, there's nothing new that we have to put into the story, but it doesn't ever get old. Did you know that? But you know what? Sometimes for us, it does get old. Sometimes did you know that the only message that some people ever hear is when they come on Easter and they sit in church and hear the Easter message and they can hear it over and over and over again. Do you know that we can become very numb to that message too? Because most of you guys, well, I had it kind of noted like this. The message that you were expecting to hear this morning is not what you're going to be getting. As a matter of fact, the message that you're going to be receiving this morning is not the message necessarily that you would have chosen to hear this morning or that you would think would be applicable to your life. But let me say, spending some time going through, and I really wanted to pull something out of Hebrews. I love teaching through Hebrews, power of the blood, the high priest, all of that. We could teach for hours there, by the way. We'll get you guys all out of here by 1245 this morning. Some of you guys are texting your reservations. We'll be a bit later... We'll text when we get out. (laughs) But I want you guys to know, this morning we're going to go to chapter 6 of Romans. Hopefully you're already there. If you have your sword, go ahead and open it up. And I want you guys to see what's going through here. And this morning's message, I will tell you that it's going to deal with sin, death, resurrection, life, and then victory. And I think that those are the five things that we see there Uh, encapsulated there within the resurrection story, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But as we move into this this morning, this would be my one hope for everybody in this room. And it's going to be weird, okay? I don't just do weird for being weird. My hope that everybody in this room has already died. And you're like, okay, we should have gone over to the church down the street. (laughs) What are you saying that we should have died? Well, what we're going to see in this passage right here is that is actually what Scripture calls us to do in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must what? We must die. We got to die. And let me say, in in this room here this morning, I can tell you, there's a lot of people that probably need to die here this morning and need to surrender the old self, the old mentality, the old life, and allow that old life to go down into that grave that picture of our baptism. We're going to talk about baptism this morning, right? If you have resurrection, going in the grave and resurrection, that's our whole baptism picture. I don't want to ruin that. But this is where we start. And let me just begin with a simple prayer. So Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we're free. We thank you for the grace that you have poured out upon us, that you have accomplished our salvation. Father, I pray this morning that, that right now, each set of ears in this room is already making a decision to be attentive or to neglect what's going to be said over the next few minutes. Father, I pray that you would spur us in the right direction. Father, I pray for our attention to be able to hold strong over the next few moments that we would hear. And Father, not only hear, but we have to learn what is here before us. So Father, that we can truly have that life with you and we can experience freedom. And the body says, and the body says, amen. Thanks, guys. Chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to be doing the first 13 verses. Paul says this. Paul talking to some Romans there 
Romans, as you guys know, is a wonderful book. I can't give you what's all happened beforehand. But Paul has spent a few chapters talking about what it means to truly have faith. And faith in God is not just the concept of, you know, well, okay, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so because I have, because I believe that, uh, it means I'm saved. That doesn't mean you're saved. And you say, well, you know what, uh, Steve, I, I did do the thing, you know, confess with your mouth and believe your heart. And, and so I know that I'm saved. Well, what you should understand is Paul's usage of the words confessing and believing are probably quite a bit different from our modern translation of those words. Paul's talking about if you lay your life down, it could be a death warrant for you if you proclaim Jesus Christ. Would you go that far to proclaim who he is? Well, this is what Paul says. So he's dealing with people. And, and, and understand this, there's, there's a lot of muckety-muck in the church at this particular time. The reason being is because there's men there. There's women there. And the backgrounds of most of these people here at Rome, they've all come from, from steeped in, uh, in pagan idolatry. Now they're coming over into Christianity, and they, they would try to pull their old lifestyle, their old pagan idolatry, into their new life with God, and, and then into the church, the group of believers that are meeting together. And it's always a danger that we're trying to pull something other than God into our worship of God. But you know what? We do that quite a bit. Matter of fact, our old nature is always trying to get us to introduce something else. Well, and another thing that our old nature tries to do is it says this. Yes, be saved. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But you really don't have to have a changed life after that point. Go ahead and uh, our old life or or, or the old man would say, uh, or what sin would tell us is this. It's okay to have some sin in your life because, you know what, you're saved and it'll all be okay down the road. Well, this is what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Some of your translations would say, shall we continue sinning so that grace would abound more and more? And the concept was, was this, that he knew that some Yehu there in the fellowship would say, well, if because of our sin, well, the Yehu necessarily wouldn't have a country draw. If because of our sin, God's grace, God looks so great because he covers our sin, so if we just keep on sinning and God's grace covers that sin, doesn't that, God, doesn't that make God look so much better? Because you know what? He has to work overtime in my life to cover all my sin. And so somebody would say, shouldn't, isn't it okay to live a life outside of what God has for us? Because doesn't it, after all, make God look better? And you know what Paul says? What's the next word? He says, no way. As a matter of fact, an individual who believes that they can be saved and continue on in their old lifestyle does not understand salvation or grace or mercy. That person does not have a relationship with God if they believe they can continue on in a sinful lifestyle, rebellious to God and to his word, but yet say, God's got me because, well, I said the prayer. The guy at church said that if I, if I wanted to accept Jesus to raise my hand and repeat after him, doesn't that mean I'm saved? Does that mean somebody's saved because you raise your hand and repeat a phrase? Guys, I don't know if you know this. That, that is not salvation. You know what Jesus, you know Jesus never gave an invitation to raise hands or repeat after him? Do you guys know that? I don't know if you've ever noticed that in scripture. You know what he always called people to do? 
two words. Follow me. That. And let me even say this. Those people who were hanging around Jesus from time to time, he would weed them out. He would weed out the ones who truly were faithful and who truly, really trusted him. Not the people that were there for what they could get from Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was a cool dude. I mean, right? He's showing. I was listening to this last night, and I was just amazed because I've never communicated it like this before. When Jesus was here in this world, he was showing a glimpse of what his kingdom one day is going to look like. That's why he came and he could heal thousands of people. Because you know what? In his kingdom, guess what there's not going to be? Sickness or death. He could come and he could feed thousands upon thousands of people. And he was giving us a glimpse of what his kingdom will be like. There will be no what? There will be no hunger. He's the bread of life, right? That's what he says. I'm the bread of life. And he was giving a picture of what his kingdom is going to be like one day. The question that we have for this is simply this. Some, be, some people may say, or let me make this statement. It's kind of a statement question. Verse 1, I just have simply noted like this. Well, I'm saved, right? I mean, I'm, I'm saved, right? Uh, you know, I mean, I said the prayer. That means I'm saved. I, I went forward. I, I got baptized. And you guys know how I always like to follow baptism, right? My mom's got the, for the older generations, my mom's got the Polaroid, right? We've got the certificate. It's, it's, it's in the safe. It's in the trunk. That way, it's, it's verifiable proof that I did get baptized, and that means that I'm saved. Is that salvation once again? The question this morning is this. If you are walking in a life that is contrary to God's will and his word for your life, and you are saying, I know what God says, but I'm just going to do this anyways, you should probably start asking this question. Am I covered by the blood? Am I truly saved in all of this? Guys, I know that everybody's heard this message before. Well, heard the resurrection story. What I hope to accomplish here this morning is simply this. That if somebody has put false hope in something they've said or a hand raising or C&E, I learned that phrase from Bill Rosting over there a few years ago. C&E cried. I haven't heard that like in, you know, 87 years of my life. And a lot of people just show up on C&E. What is that, by the way? You guys know what that is? Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. And guys, my hope is this. That if you're professing to be a... If you are saying you're a Christian, and let me say, I think we're about at the point where we need to just set that term aside in our society because it has no weight or value anymore. Because the most ungodless people in our society will profess to be Christians. I like followers of the way, personally. My hope would be this. If you're professing to be a Christian, but there is no pursuit, love, desire, inspiration, presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, I would encourage you to reconsider a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. If you've been going to church for the last 50 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evenings, or Tuesday nights here, and there's no change in your life, if there's no power of the Holy Spirit, don't worry, I'm not going Pentecostal, I'm just preaching God's word here. And there's no power of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Jesus says he's the comforter. He comes alongside of you. 
Jesus says the comforter will tell you all things. He says the Holy Spirit is now going to be your guide once I leave. By the way, the Holy Spirit is in essence who? It's God, right? God the Father, God the Son, and who? God the Holy Spirit. Don't cut out a third of the Trinity. You're going to take away the word of God and the glory of the gospel. If you've spent decades going to church with no change in your life, I would encourage you this morning to reconsider who Jesus Christ is and to follow him and to lay down your old life this morning and to trust him and walk in a new life. Verse two says this. Verse one was, can we keep on sinning and God just expect God's grace to cover us? He says, Paul says, that's foolishness. It doesn't work that way. He says, we are those who have, what is that word? We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, what happens for a Christian, a Christian, we should note, is not perfect, but a Christian should be, you ODF guys should know this, a Christian is not perfect, but we should be what? Changed. Somebody who says they're a Christian and there's no change in their life, that's not a Christian. That's not somebody who's saved. That's somebody who likes the concept. If, if I die today, walk out there, get hit by a bus, I'll be meeting old St. Pete at the gate and I'll bring my baptism certificate. That my mom, I'll stop over there at her house first on the way up there, pick it up and, and the Polaroid. Now we don't even get Polaroids, right? They just, you know, if you want to see your baptism, you got to go, you know, to mom's phone or something like that. Which is still good. But I want you to note this, verse 2. He says, by no means, we are those who have died. Now, he says, have died to what? To sin. Now, what that means is this. Paul is saying that when we were born into this world, we had a sinful, we had a sinful essence about us. Nothing we could do ever please God. And because of that sin nature that we were born with, we inherited it from great-grandpa Adam and great-grandpa great-grandma Eve. And when we inherited that, it was sinful. And Paul says this, we have died to sin. Maybe think about it like this. There was a time in your life, or maybe it's even here this morning, that you were in a love relationship with sin. You know, Scripture tells us that sin is, anybody know, fun for how long? Yeah, Scripture actually says that sin's pretty entertaining. Prince, sin is pretty fun. Do you guys know that? Have you ever known sin to be fun? I mean, come on. It's okay. You can say yes, right? Okay. Sin fun? Yeah. But it always comes back around, Right? It may have the illusion of fun. You may like it for a time, but then it's always going to come back around. Well, here's the deal. You were married to sin. You thought that you were just living life, having a good time. Things are great. Maybe they were great for you. Maybe they weren't. But you were in a relationship with sin. You were married to it. Congratulations. And you know what the fruit of that relationship was going to be? Death. Yeah. Because of your love relationship with sin, your relationship with sin, it was going to cause you to, well, you were already spiritually dead, and you know what? It's also going to cause physical death in your life. So verse 3 says this. Verse 2 says, if we've died to it, 
if we're no longer in that relationship anymore, and by the way, just take note, those of you guys who are taking notes, you can, don't look at it now, but chapter 7, the next chapter, Paul will explain how where there's a covenant relationship, that the only thing that can break that covenant is death, okay? Um, when there's a marriage covenant, the only thing that can truly break that marriage covenant is if somebody dies, right? And so here he says, so how can we live it any longer if we've died to it? Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death? Do you know that there's two parts to baptism? It's really good for you guys to know that I understand this. There's two parts to baptism. The first part is going down. Right? What's the second part? (laughs) You got to bring people back up, right? I mean, that's the whole picture of it. Do you know that when Jesus goes into the grave, and how many days later is he resurrected? Do you know that when you're baptized, that's what that's a picture of? Did you know that? Going into the grave. Now, when Jesus went into the grave, he went into the grave because he was killed because the sin of man, he died because the sin of mankind came upon him. God judged him and he died. Those Romans, believe me, they didn't kill Jesus. Okay? It was the wrath of God that was upon Jesus that he bore upon himself. And he goes into the ground with all of our sin, right? And then when he comes up, right, the resurrected Jesus, he doesn't have any sin on him, does he? No. He has nothing, but he does have life, doesn't he? Now, how often have you guys seen something? um, How often have you seen something that died? Maybe you put it in a shoebox, dug a hole. Some of you guys, you know, out on the farms and yards and stuff. I remember we did it with the hamster and and so forth, put it in a bag and and dug it up like two weeks later and it's all weird stuff. I shouldn't even share that stuff, Willie. But how many times have you put, you know, a little squeaky mouse or whatever you had, hamster, into the ground, and then like, you know, a week later, it was out walking around? Anybody ever have that experience here before? doesn't happen. Because we're not talking about physical things necessarily. We're talking about spiritual, aren't we? And what you and I need to understand is when we go into baptism, when you were baptized, the whole picture of that is that I am, I am allowing my old man, my old self, to be put where? My old sin nature to be put into the grave only to be what? I am brought back up again. And what do we say after the pastor brings people up into a new life? You see, guys, once again, did you know you can be baptized and it not take? I I had it noted like this. I didn't put it in my notes, but I was thinking about it uh, last night and this morning. Did you get baptized or did baptism get you? And let me explain this. You see, the whole point of baptism is that when we go down into the water, that's a picture of the grave, it's a picture of our death. And that ground, or that watery grave, it's supposed to hang on to something when we come out of that grave. Did you know that? Did baptism get something from you when you were baptized? Or did you go down and come out the exact same person? There's all the difference in that, isn't there? Guys, that's why we're baptized. Did you know that? It's a picture of going down into the grave, the old man, the old self, going there. Verse 4 says this. So we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have, what's that phrase? We get to have a whole new life. We follow him in the death. 
so that we can have a new life. So what's the point of all of this? What's the point of Jesus and the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection? What's the point of all of this for us? That we get to have a what? A new life. Now, in order to receive a new life, you first have to understand that you need to get rid of what? An old life. You see, you can't take both of them on at the same time and say, well, I just want to do a little, you know, 50-50 here. I want to do a little Alfredo marinara on top of it. Can I just have a little bit of my old life, a little bit of this new life? Can't we just blend them together? What's the answer? The answer is no. Now, let me say this. There is a difference between a person who is pursuing a sinful lifestyle and a difference of a person who's struggling with sin and wants the sin out of their life. Do you guys got that? I need to make sure that that's very, very clear because, because Christians are not perfect, but we are what? We are changed, and we're not only to be changed at the moment, moment of salvation, but through the process of sanctification, right? Where we, sanctification means what? To be set apart, right? Set apart to the Lord. So the whole process of this, verse 4, tells us this. We were buried with him through baptism into death so that we could have a new life. It means that there has to be one thing in order for other things to take effect. I wasn't going to use this illustration, but I think, I think it'll work okay. You guys know the old Pirate's Creed, right? The power of the plank is the water. Just think about it for a second. Because if your ship is on dry land and you're forcing somebody to walk the plank, right, they just fall 10 feet, probably going to survive and be like, I'm not scared. But the power of a plank, right, the Pirate's Creed, everybody knows this, right? You've seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Just kidding. There's no such thing. I'm totally fabricating this. But it did come to me yesterday. So... But the power of a plank is in the water, right? The power of our salvation is in the resurrection. The power of our salvation is in our death and in the resurrection that Jesus brings us. Guys, I need you to know that there is that... You can hear as many of these messages as you want. You can go as many church functions as you want. But if you're not willing to let your old life die, you will never, ever have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Say something. Okay. It will never, say it will never happen. Yeah. It can't. But what we're called to do is this, lay our lives down surrender it at the feet of Jesus and take up the new life that he has for us. Verse five says this. For we have been united with him in death like his. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, what was a death like Jesus? What does that mean if we have a death like Jesus? You just write the word, surrendering of self there. Surrendering of self-will. What does Jesus say? It's written of him, I will come to do your will, O God. And Jesus came. You remember that night at Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any other way for this to happen, hey, hey, if, if people can be saved by the law, God, do it. You know what? The law can't save people. It can only tell us that we're sinful. Unfortunately, a lot of people worship the law today and put themselves under the law. The law was given us to we're sinful, right? That's the whole purpose of it. We're not called to live under the law. We're called to live under what? Capital G, grace. 
What is a death like his? A death like his says, I will surrender myself because I love my God. Because I want to know him. I want to be with him. For if we've been crucified, united with him, for if we have been united, verse 5, with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And you see, guys, one of the things that I need you to know is this. The Easter message or the resurrection message is about Jesus, but it's for you. You see, sometimes we come to church and we think, oh, it's just, you know, it's just the resurrection message, just about Jesus coming out of the grave. Guys, that happens for you. It happens for you, for you, for you. It's about Jesus, but it's for you. question is this. Have you ever contemplated what all of this means? I mean, here, Paul, I mean, you know, everybody says, oh, Romans, such a great book. If you want to start reading the Bible, read Romans or John or, you know, whatever. But Romans is usually one of the biggies. You know what he's telling us here? We have to come to a point in our lives where we just set it aside and we grab a hold of God full bore. Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. I want you to note that. Maybe you can highlight or underlight that. The body ruled by sin. I want you to know that the body in all of this is neutral. Your body doesn't make you sin. You use your body to sin. Did you know that? Your body, what he says there, it's ruled. Your body once was ruled by sin. What it means is this. That's who you loved. Your, your body ruled you. It, and sin controlled your body. So sin controls your body. Your body controls you. You feel helpless because how many people in here, by the way, have ever tried to break a bad habit and failed at it? And every hand goes up. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, there was that New Year's thing that I was supposed to be doing, kind of a deal. Our bodies, we have to understand in that relationship, used to rule us. Let me say, maybe even here this morning, your body's ruling you. If you have the mentality of this, I can lead a sinful life and still claim Jesus. You're not led by Jesus. You're led by your sin. Your body is ruling you. And Paul is saying this, it's got to die. If you're going to be saved, it's got to die. Yeah, but, but can, I, can I have a, a measure of sin? Can't I allow sin to just be a, a part of my life and yet, you know, still get Jesus and St. Pete at the gate too and the Polaroid? And doesn't all of that mean anything? And it doesn't, guys. It doesn't. Paul says, your old life, it's got to go. Your old way of thinking has got to go. Let me say, this idea of proclaiming Christ, I'm a Christian, but there's no pursuit of him, that's got to go in your life. This idea of raising children and not speaking the word of God into them on a daily basis, pronouncing blessings into their life, if that's not happening, that's got to go. You've got to change the direction you're going because it's not going to produce any fruit. Dare I even say this? Handing over your kids to youth ministers to train them up spiritually has to go. That is mom and dad's God-given responsibility, and they're the ones who's going to have the greatest effect on those children's lives. That, if it's not happening, whatever else you're doing, it's got to go. I love the idea of asking those kids, telling those kids here this morning, Hey, if your mommy and daddy's not teaching on a date, opening up the word of God and teaching you it, 
That's got to go. That's poor parenting. I don't care if they can throw a football 50 yards. I don't care if they can shoot three-pointer after three-pointer. I don't care if they have a 4.0 or a 5.0 GPA, depending on what scale you're on. I don't care what college they go through. You can have the greatest athlete, the, the most academic child, and what's coming out of Christian homes today, oh, you guys got me on a rant. What's coming out of Christian homes today is one of the poorest examples of Christianity. Dare I even say this? My wife's a teacher. Most of you guys know that. She has now taught thousands of kids. You want to know who her best students are? You want to know who the most like Jesus only? They're missing the mark just, they're missing their mark by this much, which is everything. Her, her most, the ones who know the word of God the best and are actually following, following and living a, a, a life that they think is pleasing to the Lord are her Mormon students. Every other denomination that's represented in the classroom doesn't know anything, having spent 15, 17 years in church. Guys, dare I say I give an easy test here this morning of the top 50 questions or the top 20 questions. And many people might be like, oh, don't give me that. I've only been, I've only been doing this for 40 years. <laughs> Is there anything about the resurrection that you couldn't stand up here and say that, that I couldn't say? I mean, there's nothing new in all of this, is there? But guys, what I am calling us to and what God's word is calling us to is we have to at some point in your life, and hopefully it's this morning, you have to be willing for change to happen in your life. Because you know what? Professing to be a Christian, and maybe you are saved, but you're seeing little change, little progress, little victory, sin, sin still creeps up y'all and takes you. And has its way with it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That's a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live. When scripture tells us that this is about freedom and life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and what kind of a life? So why in the world would you ever settle for something that is mediocre? If Jesus says, I've got the best for you, right? This is the guy who walks on water, right? Feeds thousands, heals thousands, right? He's saying, I've got something for you greater than what you can even possibly imagine for yourself. And we're like, yawn, snore. Okay, I'll be back next week. Throw the kids in the classroom. We'll do our church responsibility. Guys, let me say, I believe that within this generation of people, I believe that it's time for us to become serious about following the Lord and setting everything else aside. You still have to work, right? You still have to have your kids and all of that. But there has to come a time in your life where you make a decision to say, this all has to be about him or I'm going to make it all about me. And if it's not about him, it's already what? All about you. You just need to realize it and accept it. Right now, the decision that every person in this room has is, am I going to follow the Lord or am I going to follow myself? Some of you guys are following the Lord in a wonderful way this morning. And I would say some are not following the Lord in a wonderful way. I'd say that there are some people that after the first few minutes are like, well, I kind of wonder if I'm even saved. You know how you tell if you're saved? One, one, of the great, one of the great ways, just look at the life that you live. Is it about the Lord or not? That's a great way to tell 
your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that this is 100% on the mark, but you know what? Your life tells a lot about what you pursue and what you're, what you're going after in life. Does that make sense? I don't even know what verse we were on. Verse 7 says this. Verse 6 said, For we know that our old self is crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So he's talking about trying to get us into the point of victory, getting rid of this old self, might be done away with, that we should no longer be, what's the next phrase? Slaves to sin. I'm no longer a slave. No longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to fear. Because he says this, verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Once again, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect in all your ways. But let me say, a person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ and has the Spirit of God in him, the Spirit of God is going to start encouraging you to battle against that sin. Okay? And there are times when we're strong and there's times when we are weak. You guys agree with that? Yeah. But the point of what we're looking for is that we don't surrender that battle. That we don't just say, well, this is just, I I hate it. And hate is such a, you know, well, I guess we're probably not supposed to use that word today. So we'll use it. I hate... I hate it when people say, well, this is just who I am. I just cheat on my wife because it's who I am. (laughs) Well, he doesn't have to have a country accent. Sorry about that. (laughs) I hate it whenever people say, well, I I just talk like that because it's who I am. Well, you know what? If that's true, then you need to become a new person. And that happens through the death of self and a new life that Jesus Christ gives you. Amen? If you say, hey, you know what? I'm a cheater because that's just who I am. Well, that's fine. You're right. That is who you are. But you need to become a new person. And whatever excuses you may be using today, well, this keeps me from the Lord. I can't do it because of this and this and this. You know what? That is who you are. And you need to die and become a new person. You know why? Because otherwise, you're going to end up dying in that old nature, that old state. And you're going to be judged according to your sin. And you know what that judgment's going to be? Guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. By the way, let me just take it, let me simplify it just one more step here. Do you know that for somebody who does not know the Lord, when they go in front of the right, great right throne judgment, all of their sin isn't brought up in front of them, doesn't need to be brought up in front of them. You know there's only one area of sin that even needs to be discussed whether or not somebody accepted or rejected what the Holy Spirit was saying to them. That's all. Jesus says all manner of sin can be forgiven to man except for what? Blasphemy or rejecting what the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. That's the only thing. Did you accept or reject? And you know what I think a lot of people will try? Hmm. Jesus says it like this. Well, on that day, many people are going to say, we went to church. Hey, I was a pastor. I led, I led worship. I worked in the children's ministry. I counted the offerings. What do you mean I don't come into heaven? Right? Jesus says many, many, many in that day will say, I was doing all of these things for, for you. And you know what Jesus will say? Depart from me. I didn't know you. I don't know who you are. Your name's not written in my father's book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Because this is what I want you to consider And I always want you to consider for the rest of your life, maybe if one thing sticks with you, 
to always challenge where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Never get to the place where you just become numb or comfortable. You know why? Because when something is numb, sometimes you don't even know it. When you become comfortable, you don't even know. Well, you can become completely apathetic towards the things of God and not even know it. That's why we have to continue to challenge, to move forward and allow the Holy Spirit to progress us in our relationship with God. By the way, you know that sanctification process I talked about earlier where God is now transforming us into the likeness of Christ? Hopefully we're allowing him to do that day after week after month after years that he gives us. That, that, this is a lifetime journey that we have. And let me say this morning, if you're here this morning and you started out well, but today you might say, I think I kind of fizzled out. Go read Galatians. Having begun in the spirit, having begun with the goodness of the resurrection and the power of the blood and freed from sin, salvation, glory to God. Have you now spent after that point? Are you now trying to finish all this out by your what? By your flesh? And you know what? There are people in this room. They started strong in the spirit and they're trying to finish it out with their flesh. And you know what? They don't have any communication with God. They're not hearing from the Lord because there's a hardness, there's a rejection that they've built up. If you're in that position this morning, I would encourage you, this morning is a great morning to say, this needs to be a new beginning. Isn't that what resurrection's about? New beginnings, right? Let's continue on here. So verse um, 8 says this, So if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Isn't that good news? Because his blood, Hebrews tells us, has, has um, indestructible life, right? If you take our blood, if I uh, take Bill right here and I poke him, you know, with a big pin or something, and we get blood out there on the table, that blood is actually alive. Did you guys know that? Your blood is alive. But do you know what's going to happen in just a few minutes? The blood's going to die, right? The blood, not, we're not talking Bill. Bill's okay. We put a Band-Aid on him. Don't worry about Bill anymore. We're talking about Bill's blood. Your blood dies. You know what's great about Jesus' blood? It's eternal. It doesn't, it doesn't ever die. That's why in the Old Testament, when they gave the sacrifice for sin, well, they made that sacrifice, but that blood died. The, the blood couldn't continue to cover day after week after month of the people's sins or their transgressions. But Jesus' blood, well, you know, kind of what happens between the whole burial and resurrection, there's some time there. Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus goes into the heavenly throne room. He offers himself as the what? As the Lamb of God, right? John the Baptist, behold the what? Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews tells us all about the power of the blood. Jesus brings his, the great high priest, could only go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. How many times a year? One time a year, and he would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the ark and on the atonement cover, and he would sprinkle it there. And Jesus, Jesus goes into the heavenly throne room during that time from the burial to his resurrection. He goes in, and he takes his blood, and he showers it out. And the great thing about his blood, once again, is because he's God, his blood is what? Eternal. And that's why his blood never stops covering you or me. I think that's great news, guys. What that means is Jesus has done all of the work for our salvation. Is that good news to you? I hope that that's good news to you. Meaning that then he desires for us, once we're forgiven, we're free, free, forever we're free, right? We're free to follow him now, and we're free from the old guilt 
of our sinful lifestyle. What Hebrews tells us, um, chapter 7 or chapter 9, tells us that the old sacrificial system, it could never cleanse somebody's mind. Do you know that you can sin against somebody and say you're sorry, but you still have guilt and remorse about it, right? You guys understand how all that works, right? Can't cleanse it, but who can cleanse it? Yeah, Jesus can cleanse it all. Well, it says this, verse 9, For we know he cannot die again. Uh, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. How many times does Jesus have to die? Okay. For how much of your sin? Are you sure it's not just like up to that point when you got saved? Or what? Is it more than that? You guys tell me. Okay, I need you guys to act like you're actually confident about this. How much of your sin does he cover? Just like up to the point that you get saved, or does he cover past, present, and future? Yeah, he covers past, present, and future. Verse 10 says this, The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, well, he lives to whom? Yeah. Now remember, Paul is using here Jesus as an illustration of our relationship with God. That the only way we can have a relationship with God is that we go into the grave, right? Spiritually, symbolically speaking, we go into that grave. We recognize we put the old man, the old self there. When we come out of that, being released from that old nature, that old man, that old self, we now live a life to whom? Our children? No. Our careers? What do you guys think? No. To our best friend? No. No. The life he lives to God. Turn with me quickly, just over to your right, to Galatians 2.20. It's going to be Paul as well. You guys have heard this numerous times. But guys, the resurrection message and what we're talking about this morning is about Jesus, but it's for who? It's for you, that's right. Galatians 2.20, Paul would say this, page uh, 1092. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Now, you see what Paul's saying there? He's, the old life is where? The old self is where? It's down in the grave. <laughs> kind of a deal. He says, and I no longer live, but Christ now lives where? Around me? In me. And he says this, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith or trust, security in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this, there's only one true Christian experience, and that is a life that ends with living for Jesus Christ. Death to self, first of all, life living for Jesus Christ. Now, I know that I can say that, and I know you can even see this, go back over to Romans, and you can see all of this, you can read the passages, you can even agree with what I'm saying, but I still know that there will be some in this room that will say, you know what? Yeah, that all sounds good. I'm saved. I'm still going to live a sinful lifestyle. I'm still going to pursue my old wants and dreams and wishes and so forth. I'm still going to pursue what is contrary to the nature of God. I know that there are people this morning that will read it, that will hear it, and they'll still go the direction you're going because they're married to sin. They love their what? They love their sin, right? Jesus says to Nicodemus, right? John chapter 3. The reason why men don't turn to God is because they what? Anybody know? They love their sin. That's the reason. Guys, my hope this morning is that you don't love your sin so much to reject Jesus. 
And then let me say this. If you are in the habit of living a life contrary to who God is, and you're walking around with the Christian sticker on you, take it off. And I want to encourage you to do this. You go wholeheartedly after sin. You go, you just go as wild as you can go. You experiment with every, and so many people are like, what? This is, we should not be telling people to do this. No, this is what I would want you to do. I would much rather you go pursue the sin lifestyle that you desire rather than to be lukewarm. Because I know this, God can deal with two types of hearts, one that's cold and one, one that's hot. But the heart that is going to reject him and the hardest, the most for him to get to is the person who is what? Lukewarm. And that's the person who says, I'm good with God and I'm good with how I want to live my life. Guys, please don't fall into that trap. Please don't believe that just because you said a prayer that that saves you. Please don't believe because you have the certificate that that saves you. Please understand that only Jesus saves and the process is death to self, grabbing a hold of him as he comes out of that grave and we grab onto him coming out and he gives you a new life. That's salvation, guys. I know it's a little rougher than what you've seen. Kind of like an old 1946, you know, Willie's Jeep or something. It's just rough, right? And this is just kind of raw what we're seeing here. But verse 11 says this, so in the same way now, Count yourselves, or that word reckon in some of your translations. It means come to a conclusion. Come to a conclusion about yourself. That's what he's saying there. Come to a conclusion about your life here this morning. Is it a life that is lived for God, or is it a life that is lived for yourself? It's really going to give you great insight to where you're at with salvation. And you get to make that choice this morning. So Paul says, you figure this out. You make a decision right now. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Can you count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ? Can you say that my life is being lived for Christ Jesus and for Christ Jesus alone? He is the emphasis of everything I do. He gives me so many other things that I get to take what he gives me that I get to pour into them. Is this how you see your life? I've talked to people over the last few weeks that their lives have been, and I understand why. Kids are, kids are, Kids take a lot, I hear. They take a lot from you, a lot of time, a lot of energy. And you know how easy it is for you to begin to serve your children and your family and neglect the Lord? And I talked to, I talked to somebody who was doing so many things right, trying to do so much that, that is good and right for their children. And I said, spiritually, where are you at? Scale of one to ten. And it always amazes me. People are like, well, pretty good. A four? A five? So I said, 45%? An F minus minus is good in your account? You know what I realize as I ask people that? People will always tell me they're good. And then when we put it on a letter scale, it always comes out like a C minus to a D plus. Where are you at right now in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Can you say it's good, it's fervent, it's thriving, it's great, it's exceptional? Or might you just say, it's present? I think I got something going on, not quite sure. Don't really feel any tinglings and haven't seen any mist lately, Steve. Ooh, kind of a deal. So don't know if the Holy Spirit's working. Don't worry, I don't think that the Holy Spirit is a mist. 
but I do believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. Do you? Do you? I hope you do, because that's what God's word says. Nothing new. Verse 12 says this, therefore. We have to, if you see the word therefore, you have to go back and find out what it's there for, right? So let's start back over in verse 1 again. Just kidding. Verse 12. So, in conclusion here, verse 12 and 13, don't let sin what? Rain. Or you can have it noted like this. Don't let sin lead or have control in your new life, in your mortal body, so that you would obey its desires. Sin's tough, isn't it, guys? You guys know it. Do you guys know? Did you guys know sin's tough? Do you know, by the way, for the rest of your life, sin is never going to let up? Did you know that? There will always be temptations. Your flesh will always want you to do something contrary to the will and to the way of God. So verse 13 says, do not offer your bodies. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Ah, the great offering, right? Romans tell us, offer your body as a living what? Sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And I always like to say this, and I have some new ears in here. The problem with the living sacrifice is we tend to what? Squirm off the altar, right? Oh, Lord, right? 6 a.m. in the morning, Lord, I've come to do your will. Lord, use me in great ways. You know, ding, text. Oh, sorry, got to go. Got to get off this altar here. I was so going to give myself to you today, but I just, my friend's cars broke down. I got to go get him. Sorry, just got to stop kind of a deal. Don't offer your parts to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Guys, that's my challenge for you this morning. As those who have been brought, look at this, from death to life and offer What's that next phrase? Every part of yourself to him as an instrument of what? Of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Here's a big word. Because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Now, guys, what I need you to know, and then we're done here in just a few minutes. And I'll just close this with prayer, Lindsay. God offers a problem to your sin nature and my sin nature. Did you know that? And it's actually what we're celebrating today. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. He is the solution to your sin. You you lay down your life, and he'll raise you up and give you a new one. Guys, I think that's the great news. This is the gospel message. He says it like this, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you're under what? Grace. Now, I don't know if you circle in your Bible, but that word grace, we actually started in the first verse uh, with grace. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What grace says this is that God does all of the saving in your life. He accomplishes the pathway for you to be saved. Because you know what? You can't do anything to save yourself. Anybody try to? We can't even change ourselves, let alone save ourselves, right? And so grace comes in and grace says, God will save us by grace. The definition of grace is simply this, receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's where we cry out to Jesus, mercy, mercy, right? We cry out to God, have mercy upon this sinner. God has mercy. And not only does he do that, then he showers us with his grace. And grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Our salvation, if you're somebody who can say, man, I got the Lord. The Lord and I, we're like this. That's great news. You don't deserve it. 
Matter of fact, the people that are excited about the Lord, typically the people who understand they don't deserve it. The bitter Christians out there are the ones that they think that they've done something about it, right? And they got a sharp edge to them. So now you understand why when I said earlier, my hope would be for everybody in this room is that every single person in this room has what? It's died. Now I know a lot of words were said, time's up, people are ready to, to get to lunch. I understand all of that. There's a lot of other things going on. But one last thing I challenge you with is simply this. Have you evaluated your life this morning? Have you evaluated your Christian experience? Have you evaluated where years and years and years of going to church has brought you? The question is this. Have you actually died and laid your life down at the feet of Jesus and received a new life from him? You guys understand sleepwalking, don't you? It's possible for somebody to get up in the middle, middle of sleeping, walk around. They can eat, they can make food, they can do all sorts of things and never even remember it. Because I would never want anybody in this room to be in a point, because I think that most people in this room probably have church connection. And maybe at least on the low side a few times a year, if not every single time the doors are open. But you know that you can go through all of that and not have a relationship with the Savior. Do not let pride. Don't let a little embarrassment of, well, you know, but I made the decision when I was three, so I'm sure I'm saved, but I don't really think I am. Or eight or 10 or 20 or 30. My hope and my prayer for you would simply be this. If you haven't laid your life down and received the grace of God, now is the time that you make that decision. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to come up here and fall down on your face and weep. I'm not even going to ask you to recite with me a prayer because none of those things save. But I can tell you this, you can always tell somebody who's following Jesus because they're not perfect, but they are what? Changed. Does your life look more like the world or does it look more like Christ Jesus? It's going to be a great indicator here for you this morning, guys. Amen? And you make that decision right now about what all of this is about. 30 more seconds. Let me throw this out. Next year, you're going to be sitting in church at this particular time going to an Easter service. My hope would be that somebody might ask you the question, how much have you talked about the resurrection from the last Easter service. Because everybody in this room knows the resurrection story, but only about 10 people raised their hand and said, I've actually even talked about it. Let me tell you, you start thinking about it and talking it out loud in your home. Let people think you're crazy in your house. You walk around a room and you talk all of this out right here, and then you start sharing it with other people, and I guarantee you God's word will have effect on people's lives. Not only that on your life. please, Set aside the pursuit of the world for the pursuit of Jesus Christ and you will never, ever regret that decision. Let's stand. And so, Father, we do thank you for your grace, your mercy. Father, I thank you for the patience this morning, the open hearts, the minds, the attentiveness that you have brought to us. 
Father, help us to understand baptism like we've never seen in our need to die and to be brought back to life, to be brought to life by you. Father, I pray that the hearts who are considering and chewing on what they've heard this morning, Father, I pray that your word would pierce their hearts. Any numbness, Father, any callousness that is there. Father, I pray that we could all come together and rejoice one time in the future in your glory and sing hallelujahs, Father, about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and about how he brought us from death to life. May we cast aside that which hinders and pursue that which is going to bring glory for you. And all of this is said and done in Jesus' name. And the body says, amen. Thanks, guys.